Welcome again to another episode of Christ in Prophecy. I'm glad you joined us as we explore God's prophetic Word and its relevance to us today. I'm joined today by a very special but unusual guest, our own Nathan Jones. Now you're used to seeing Nathan every week as a co-host here on Christ in Prophecy, but today we're going to put him in what Dave Reagan used to call the hot seat because we're going to be discussing his acclaimed book, The Twelve Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets, the new Prophecy Edition. So, Nathan, it seems ironic to say this to you, but welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Well, Tim, it's good to be on as a, a featured guest, I yeah, guess. Yeah, special it's a guest. little different. I'm a special case. <laughs> well, we know that you have a lot of insight to give us today, as always, but I'm interested to jump right in because I know that the original edition of your 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets has been a great blessing to many who wanted to use it for Bible study purposes or just to dig into God's Word. And so, what motivated you to expand that original version into this new Prophecy Edition? Okay, well, uh, years ago I was uh, serving at Southeast Christian Church with a good friend of mine, Steve Howell. He went on to become a pastor at a church in Kansas. Uh, but we would always wanted to do some project together. So I approached Dr. Reagan and I said, Dr. Reagan, we like the weird and the unusual. We'd like to do a book on the Minor Prophets. And he kind of scratched his head and said, well, Nathan, I don't think anyone's going to read a book on the Minor Prophets. And I said, but let me prove to you that the Minor Prophets are filled with a wealth of information about how to have deeper faith in God. So we released this first book, 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets, and uh, it sold very well for a few years, and we ran out. And I approached you, and I said, hey, we need another print. And you said, why don't you come up with a second edition? And I'm so glad you did because that's, there's a part that was missing for me. And over the years, people contact the ministry and they say, say, can you give me every prophecy in this book or that book and all? And I said, well, I want to take every prophecy, find each one in each of the minor prophets, list them, and then tell people when they were fulfilled or when will they be fulfilled. And so with the second edition, we've added that to the book as well. So you help grow your faith and understanding how to overcome adversity to your faith. But we also have this new prophecy edition, which then adds all the prophecies that can be found in the Minor Prophets. Well, we're going to dig into that in just a moment because there is a lot of value added in looking at each of the prophecies, which ones have been fulfilled, partially fulfilled, or await fulfillment. But Nathan, I have to observe, and I think many of our viewers would agree, that sadly many Christians dismiss the importance of the Minor Prophets, as if the word minor is used because these 12 men did not have anything significant to say. Here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, we have a dramatic visual demonstration of this misguided mentality. Do you also have one of these tiny attic doors in your house? If you do, and you're like me, you don't go through them very much, if ever, and for good reason. Let's take a look. Ugh. Ow! Ooh, spider! What are the words that come to mind with addicts such as these? Strange, little, unimportant, unused, dusty. Well, did you know the Bible also has an attic? 
It's a section of the Old Testament very few people ever visit because like this attic, it's also considered strange, little, unimportant, unused, and dusty. What I'm referring to is a section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. Well, Nathan, in your book, you made the same outstanding application about that humble little door. What do most people think of the 12 minor prophets? Oh, minor, little, strange, unimportant, unused, dusty. Yeah, but the premise of this book is that the 12 minor prophets are anything but unimportant. As a matter of fact, even though they make up only 7% of the Old Testament, they have tremendous relevance to us today. Oh, I, I so agree, and that's why it was so important to write. Let me just read you two paragraphs that I think summarizes the impetus of why we wrote this book it says, when one truly digs into the life of the minor prophets, one will discover not something strange or minor, little unimportant, unused and dusty, but the real life stories of 12 men who were thrust into quite perilous situations. They will discover that these guys were everyday people just like so many of us. They hailed from diverse backgrounds. They were farmers and construction workers. Some were clergy and a, mm -hmm. a few aristocrats, a mix of age from teens up to senior citizens. But what tied them all together was a specific call by God to wear the burdensome mantle of prophet and deliver his messages. And what messages they were. So full of fire from the pain of betrayal and the joy of fatherly love that their ears must have been burning upon hearing them. And here's the reason. Those impassioned message revolved like planets around the sun, all around one key subject, faith. And this is what I want people to learn, how to grow in their faith. Faith can be described as that strong or unshakable belief in something, especially with little or no proof or evidence. The Bible itself defines faith simply as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews, Hebrews 11, yeah. 1, right, yeah. Faith is primarily tied to the idea of trust and confidence. Confidence, reliance, credence, belief, trust, we can all use some of that in our relationship with God. We certainly can. Well, you talk this about this being 12 faith journeys. So before we dive into the prophecies in particular, one of the, the techniques you use is you discuss the actual faith journeys, how these men all from diverse backgrounds came to understand their call of God from their own background, blended in their personality to what God revealed to them and they shared with us. But you do that through 12 fictionalized accounts of their life story as you are preparing the reader for what you're going to present in each chapter. So what would be one of your favorite uh, stories of one of these prophets? Okay, well, I was, uh, we had a guest on our TV show a while back, Carl Gallops. I was driving him to the airport after we did a, a TV show, and uh, I said, Carl, you know, you've written a few books. I'm writing my first book. I don't feel like I'm connecting the minor prophets to the audience. He says, well, in my books, I used a fictionalized story. Uh, you know, it's called historical fiction. Yeah, Jonathan Kahn does the same thing, He does obviously. it all the time yes, to connect them to the readers. So he said, why don't you lead each chapter with a fictionalized account to, from evidence, obviously, in each of the books and bring them to life. And you know what? That was some of the best advice I ever got. Uh, of course, we have 12, one for each of them. Uh, my favorite one has got to be Hosea. It's a little long, so I'm not going to read Hosea's. Yeah, so but but, what is the gist of his story that, that brings him to life, even for a modern-day reader, with all the challenges, sometimes relationally, in our own day? Well, Hosea dealt with having a heart that was shattered. God told him, go, go marry a prostitute, basically, mm. and she is going to be betraying you all the time. Now, the prophets, 
We have the writing prophets, obviously, like the 12 minor prophets. We have the oral prophets who didn't write, like, say, Elijah or Nathan. And then we have the acting prophets that they would sometimes write, but the Lord would have them act something out. So Hosea's life became a living symbol of Hosea acting out. He was the faithful husband, God, and Gomer was the unfaithful Israel, the wife. Mm. And so I have a, a, just a beautiful story of her on the auction block and how Hosea is buying her off the auction and he forgives her just as God forgives us of our sins. Wow. And so how did Hosea deal with the shattered heart? Because he loved Gomer. He wanted to bring her back. But um, it was a good symbol, a good testimony to the people of Israel. I'm a loving husband. You're an unfaithful wife. I'll redeem you back if you come back to me. And that's a powerful story for each of us individually. It's obviously a powerful story even for God's relationship to Israel because we can say uh, as a group they have not always been faithful even though called and chosen and yet God as the, the bridegroom, the faithful husband, He will redeem a great remnant of, of His chosen people just as He's redeemed us individually. Well, you also make a great point that each prophet's message and main points is relevant to our readers here in the 21st century, anybody that picks up the Word of God. So with the time we've got left, let's go through these 12 prophets because you like to uh, bring out the prophecies that they offer up in each book and you tell us uh, what percentage and how many have been fulfilled, have been partially fulfilled and await fulfillment. So let's just step through them if we could, starting with... Okay, let's uh, of course obviously Hosea. Obviously Hosea. Yeah, there's 197 verses in Hosea, 96 of them are prophetic, and there's a prophetic percentage of 49%. Um, now the prophets did two things, they foretold the future, and that's what the prophecies are listed here, but they also foretold uh -huh. or warned society about coming back to God and being in a right relationship with God. So. I think I've heard you say that uh, each book is 100% is foretelling, but foretelling, telling the future is 49%. Right. I, I would assert that all of Scripture is uh, foretelling, so you could make the claim that 100% of the Word of God there is go. prophetic, and that's why even these minor prophets, and you'll see some of them dip in terms of their percentage of foretelling, but all of it has a, a revelation of God through these 12 men, and so they're prophetic from beginning to end. So having said that, Nathan has identified the percentage of foretelling, and that has a great value to us. It did for me as a reader. So keep on with Hosea. Okay, well, here's a prophecy, Hosea 1, 4 through 6. Then the Lord said to him, call him, his name Jezreel, one of his sons. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and to bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now this was a prophecy prophesying the king Jehu that his dynasty would come to an end and it was historically fulfilled when Assyria came and destroyed the line of Jehu. You can find that in 2 Kings. Mm, so that one was fulfilled. Give me an example of one that is awaiting fulfillment perhaps. Oh, absolutely. All right. So we can talk, let's say, about uh, Hosea 2, 14 through 17 where it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master, for I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, in other words, all the, the false gods, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. So that prophecy is promising that a whole remnant of the Jewish people will come to salvation in the fullness of time. We haven't reached that point yet, so that one is awaiting fulfillment. Yeah, awaiting fulfillment. And there's also prophecies that are partial fulfillment, ah. where the Lord had a soon fulfillment but there would also be a future farther fulfillment as well. So you can find a number of those, uh, for instance, Hosea 1, 10 through 11, which is a prophecy about 
Judah and Israel being reunited as one nation again. Well, that happened in May 14th, 1948. So here we got Hosea about 2,700 wow. years ago prophesying that the northern and southern kingdoms would one day be one nation. Now, who knew it would take almost 3,000 years right. for it to happen, but it has. And only faithful Christians reading these verses would say, well, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe God and I trust that it will happen. Well, moving along, let's go to Joel. He is a prophet that talks about some tremendous devastation in the nation, but you say uh, he has a pretty high percentage of foretelling and that all of his prophecies yet lie, if not partially fulfilled in the future. Yeah, it's 73 verses, 48 of them prophetic. That makes 66% of the book of Joel. The book of Joel very much points to the day of the Lord or the tribulation. Mm. A lot of the prophecies revolve around there. Uh, for instance, uh, Joel 1.15, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord it is his hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. There was a partial fulfillment in Joel's time, 2 Kings 8.18.13, 8, but there's also a future fulfillment, which we read about in 2 Thessalonians 2. Uh, Joel 2, 1 through 11, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. And that was quoted by Jesus in mm. Matthew 24, 29. Do you know when people say that the Old Testament is irrelevant or the minor prophets in particular are irrelevant to the New Testament? There are over 250 quotes from the New Testament of just the minor prophets. Of course. And here Jesus quoted Joel 2, 1 through 11. Well, we've taken off from Joel chapter 3. Obviously, you highlight 9 through 16, but in verse uh, 14 alone, it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And we've applied that to our own modern era because whether it is hearkening to the ultimate fulfillment in the valley of Jezreel, what we call the valley of Megiddo or Armageddon, or for individuals, that valley of decision is something all of us go through and you must decide whom you will serve. Well, let's go on to the next uh, prophecy or uh, prophet because we're going to run out of time otherwise. And that is, of course, Amos. So what about Amos? Well, Amos had to do with the fires of injustice. He was sent up to Israel and he was actually dragged out of town. He was kicked out. They didn't want to listen to his prophecies. Uh, Amos, you could find that there's a 146 verses. It's a little mm. longer. 84 are prophetic. That makes 58% of the book of Amos points to the future. And there's quite a number of prophecies in the book of Amos. Uh, I love particular 527. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Since they rejected Amos's message, they rejected God, Israel would be sent into exile. And that was historically fulfilled by the Assyrians in 722 BC. It certainly was. Obviously, of all the prophecies, you list uh, a total of 19, but you say 12 of them in Amos have already been fulfilled. Well, this brings us to one of the most uh, interesting books of the Bible because it is arguably the shortest book of the Old Testament. And that, of course, is the book of Obadiah. And yet you managed to spend 17 pages discussing this little <laughs> book, Nathan. So you had more to say about it. What's the highlights from Obadiah? All right, well, I'll give credit to Steve Howell. He wrote the Obadiah okay. chapter. But uh, 21 total verses, real short, uh, eight prophetic verses. That means 38% of Obadiah is prophetic. Obadiah dealt particularly with the Edomites, who were constantly persecuting the Jewish people. Obadiah 1, 5, 9, and 10. Then you, mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. And that was a prophecy of the end of the uh, Edomites, that they'd be mm. dismayed at their time of destruction. Malachi 1, 3 is the prophecy of prophetic fulfillment. It was done, and there are no more Edomites. So it's oh, yeah. a short book, but it, it gives the Je Jewish people a sense of justice because the Edomites were so 
They're their distant cousins uh, through Esau, and they persecute him greatly. Obadiah brought hope that this persecution would end. And so two prophecies fulfilled, two to be fulfilled. Well, this brings us to one perhaps of the most famous of the Old Testament prophets, because every young person hears about this in Sunday school, and that's the prophet Jonah. And yet he had a very unusual calling because he didn't speak primarily to the Jewish people. Who did he go to? He went to the dreaded Assyrians, particularly the capital Nineveh. These people were horrifically cruel. I mean, think of ISIS marching its way through the Middle East. Hmm. That's what the Assyrians were like. Jonah obviously didn't want to go. Yeah, he was a reluctant prophet to he say the He went the other way. But what's interesting, even though he's called a prophet, his, this is one of the minor prophet books that has almost no prophecies in it. It's 48 verses. There might be considered three if we go to 2 Kings 14.25, which is a reference to jo uh, Jonah giving a prophecy. It says, he, Jeroboam, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance, and he goes and gives the details, through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. So this prophecy is King Jeroboam, the son of Joash, would enlarge the border of his, borders of Israel, happened. And but a, there's another important prophecy yes. that really is Tell not... Tell us about that one. Well, that's, that's I think huge. the most exciting that's is huge. that Jesus Christ himself said, your sign will be the sign of Jonah. Yes. Because he was referring to the, the prophet being three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. We don't know that it was a whale. There's not many whales in the Mediterranean. But some kind of sea creature that he subsided in the, the belly for three days and Jesus Christ foreshadowing his own death see, said, such will the Son of Man be in the, the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And I believe that was very literally fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And so again, bringing relevance of this prophet into our understanding of the gospel. Jesus did uh, be crucified. He was dead. He was buried for three days and three nights. We can talk about that timing another time. And then he indeed was resurrected. A tremendous fulfilled prophecy in the life of our Savior. And it's proof that the Holy Spirit wrote the entire Bible because yes. the, the Lord quotes the Old Testament. He doesn't, Jesus never thought the Old Testament was irrelevant. Oh. He constantly pointed to it. Why? Because the Godhead wrote it. Amen. Jesus wrote it. So Exactly like the apostles as they would preach. All right, take us on to uh, Micah. Micah. Now, Micah is one of my favorite prophets because he's very relevant for today. I mean, what do you do? when your government has failed, when government is so corrupt that it fails in its purposes. It sounds just like right out of today's headlines. 105 verses, 55 of them are prophetic. 52% of the book of Micah is prophetic. Micah 1, 3 through 4, for instance, Behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under mm. him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down to a steep place. This is a, a prophecy of when Jesus Christ returns, not his first coming, but a second coming, there will be a worldwide cataclysm on that day. So it's a future prophecy. It certainly is. And, and really, we get into an accelerating sense of future prophecies. We go to Nahum, who is also a relatively short prophet, uh, short-winded, I should say, or in terms <laughs> of writing. But his percentage is very, very high, 85%, arguably the highest in the foretelling prophecies of any of the minor prophets. Yeah, so Jonah was able to bring the Ninevites to salvation 150 years later. Great the Ninevites had, had fallen back. God was going to judge the Ninevites who were very cruel to the Jewish people. So Nahum 1, 12 through 14, for instance, is a prophecy about the destruction of Nineveh. Sure enough, the Assyrian Empire was destroyed by the Babylonians yes. in 612 BC. So that prophecy was fulfilled. But there's, of course, there's a theme throughout. Even though God is calling the Jewish people back to repentance and they're refusing to repent, he gives future prophecies 
that show that he will bless them. So each of these minor prophets has a prophecies for the Jewish people. Yeah. Say, hey, I know you've fallen from me, but I am faithful and I will go through. For instance, for the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob, like the mm -hmm. excellence of Israel, Nahum 2.2. 2. That's a future fulfilled prophecy that Israel will be restored and will have a prominent position in the millennial kingdom. It certainly will. Well, we come to a prophet that we have referenced often here on Christ in Prophecy, that of course being Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, if you speak a little bit of Hebrew, I'm told. And so Habakkuk is relatively short and, and is a prophet that brings great uh, angst to the destruction that is about to befall the Jewish people back in that day. And yet he is a prophet that clings to tough faith. So tell us a little bit more about Habakkuk, how much of his book is foretelling and how many of his prophecies remain to be fulfilled? Well, I think you like him because you like to say Habakkuk. I do like to say Habakkuk. <laughs> 56 verses, uh, 16 were prophetic, so it's only about 29%. But Habakkuk had the question. His challenge was, how do you have faith when you're confused? The Lord gave him a prophecy. He says, you know, there's all this evil around, around me. How do we fix it? And God says, I'm going to send the Babylonians to destroy you. Wait, He's like, what? That, what kind of answer is that? So he was very confused. And when the Lord tells us stuff that doesn't make sense to us, how do we maintain faith when the Lord gives us confusing and sometimes it seems conflicting, but it's not prophecy. So uh, Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11, for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation. And he says, they're going to destroy you. And sure enough, it was historically fulfilled. And one of the keys that is recorded in Micah is the righteous will live by faith. And so it is our faith in Christ, our faith in the Lord God that allows us to to persevere even when circumstances around us seem so horrific. And that is a very applicable message to today. I like right. Habakkuk, before we move on, uh -huh. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord uh. as the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine living in a world, a whole world knows the Lord? I can't wait till Habakkuk 2.14 is fulfilled. I'm looking forward to that day. All right, so that brings us to Zephaniah. Uh, another one that is not often referenced in many uh, sermon series, but very important in his own right. Zephaniah had to deal with peer pressure. He was an aristocrat. He was related to the king. But he had to bring a message of, of condemnation against a king that he loved, a relative he loved. 53 verses, 47 of prophetic. That's 89%. 89%. Zephaniah the has highest. the highest level yes. of prophecy in, in any of the minor prophets. Zephaniah 2.7 the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Jacob. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon, they shall lie down at evening. For their God will intervene for them and return their captives. So it's a prophecy that Israel will eventually possess a greater land than what they already even have today. And that's awaiting possibly a Psalm 83 war or at least the Gog Magog war. Yeah, it certainly is. All right, we're going to pick up speed. What about Haggai? All right, well, Haggai lived in a time period where the exiles had returned they, a faithful remnant had come back, but the people were discouraged. They were, they were constantly, they were guilty for not building God's house. They had decided, mm -hmm. oh, I better build my own house first. So God blighted their land so there are no crops. So they'd say, hey, what's the deal? And Haggai came out and he presented 38 verses, eight of prophetic, that's 21%. Uh, for instance, Haggai 2.9, the glory of this latter temple, 
shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. Mm. So we're talking about when the Messiah returns. This second temple, they were so disappointed when they finished building it. It was so not as good as Solomon's temple. Right. It wouldn't be as good as Herod's temple. But the millennial temple that Jesus will build, the glory in that, because Jesus will be right there, is amazing. And Haggai prophesied that. Well, that brings us right to Zechariah. I love Zechariah because he has so many prophecies related to the second coming. Uh, obviously, 64%, as you identified, of his verses deal with a foretelling. And there are 25, 25 prophecies awaiting fulfillment, even though by your count, five have already been fulfilled, seven have, have been partially fulfilled. But Zechariah is the one who tells us that in the day that is to come, Jesus will save His people and bring them back from the land of the east and of the west, and they will be His people, speaking specifically of the Jewish people. He also says that in the end times, He will come and reign from Mount Zion. And so Zechariah is just so full of prophecies that we look forward to. When I go to the, the Mount of Olives, I'm sure you did the same thing. I'm using many verses out of Zechariah because he promises that he will save his people Israel and he will come to reign upon the earth from Mount Zion. Vic Batista, who does the Truth Will Set You Free podcast uh, with us, uh, he calls the book of Zechariah the mini revelation because it really is. It's yeah. the book of Revelation as a mini form in the Old Testament. There's so many wonderful prophecies there are. about how the Lord will come and defeat Israel's enemies. A remnant will be regathered and Jesus Christ will rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Uh, it's an exciting book to read. Well, I look forward to the fulfillment that in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David. That is the Jewish people and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. We know that fountain has already been opened, but that it will wash over those that remnant in the fullness of time. Well, this brings us to our last book. I won't mispronounce his name this time, but You'd Malachi. Like go ahead. Go oh, ahead. no, I will leave it to well, Malachi with my, uh, my Italian <laughs> accent. There but you go. Malachi, who really closes out the the canon of the Old Testament and yet has great relevance to us today. It's really sad because the Lord exiled the Jewish people out of Israel for 70 years, brought a believing remnant back. Uh, decades later, during the late 400s, there, during uh, Nehemiah and Ezra's time, there was a revival amongst the Jewish people. But time you get about 400 B.C. in Malachi's time, the Jewish people are just going through the motions. Yes. And so here you got Malachi who was a priest at the temple and he's watching the people bring up diseased and blemished and even stolen animals for sacrifice. And he challenges the people on it. And the people are like, eh, it doesn't matter. And like, well, about, what about your belief in God? Oh, it doesn't matter. So Malachi's faith was questioned. He didn't go along with the flow there. 55 verses, 22 of our prophetic, that's 40%. And Malachi has some wonderful, wonderful passages in it because it says, uh, for instance, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. 3, 16 through 18. He's calling Tremendous. the Jewish people his jewels. So even though they've abandoned him, he hasn't abandoned them, but this is what he does. He will spend the next 400 years not talking to them until Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Elijah the prophet did come in the form of John the Baptist. He likely will come as one of the two witnesses before Jesus' second coming. So that means that the minor prophets don't end the Bible. 
they just begin the next chapter. Let's face it, Nathan, 400 years of silence, but if a person doesn't open the Scripture today, it is silent. So the only way you can glean the understanding that God wants you to have through His revelation, including the Minor Prophets, is by opening the book and reading it. Well, Nathan, how can our viewers get a copy of your wonderful new book, The Twelve Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets in the Prophecy Edition? You can get the updated Prophecy Edition copy of The Twelve Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets by calling the number you see on the screen or visiting our online store. For a gift of only $20 or more, we'll be glad to send you a copy. We sure will. And let me be very clear, even if you have a copy of the original edition of The Twelve Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets, you'll want to get this Prophecy Edition as well. It'll be a great resource for you, your Bible study group, or even to give to friends and family. Well, Nathan, this has been a wonderful dialogue about all of the Minor Prophets and the relevant topics that they apply to our lives today. Mm -hmm. I hope that you'll keep writing. Well, I enjoy it. I learn so much when I do. Well, I think we all learn more even than our readers when we write. Yes. But I also hope you'll come back and be on Christ in Prophecy again sometime. Okay. Well, like maybe next week. Okay, there you go. <laughs> all right, very good. Well, actually, folks, we hope that you'll join us again next week for another engaging episode of Christ in Prophecy. Until then, let's all commit to heed Micah's advice to watch expectantly for the Lord, waiting for the God of our salvation. Godspeed.